during this month of September. I'm calling it September in the Psalms. And looking forward to uh, the next few weeks as we walk through different Psalms and how God speaks to us through those authors, through the psalmist, through those um, songs and poems that were written during that time. If you will, open up to Psalm 46. And our title today is, Who is Our God? Who is our God? And there's a lot of very important verses that people take out of this passage of Scripture, and they use them quite often. But as we look at this today, we're going to look at who is our God. He's a permanent refuge. He's a people sustainer. And He is a peace creator. It's who He is. He is our God. You know, as Alabamians, James Spann is, for most of us, our go-to meteorologist, right? You turn on the TV, it's inclement weather. Who are you going to turn to? Turn to James Spann. And you know, he's got a, several phrases that he uses that tells us what we need to do during that time of inclement weather, doesn't he? He tells us things like, go to your safe place. Make sure you've got a bicycle helmet or some type of helmet to wear, right? But of course, and he tells us to go into the inner room away from any windows and things of that nature. All of that is to be a refuge, right? Probably his most common and most known is uh, respect the polygon, right? He tells us all these things to, to uh, keep us safe. He's a refuge. Uh, that we, he, he's not the refuge, but he gives us directions on how to find the refuge, right? But as Christians, we do have a safe place. We have the presence of God. Now listen, I want you to understand this. Some people think I go to the presence of God and everything just subsides. But I want you to know, although the safe place, although Christ in God is a safe place, that doesn't mean there is no storm. It doesn't mean there's no hardship or trial. What it does mean is we have someone stronger than the storm to run to. This reminds me of Proverbs 18.10. Where the scripture says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The Lord is your strong tower today. If the Lord is your strong tower today, you know that refuge. You know that refuge. If he isn't, he can be your strong tower by the conclusion of this service. He can be your strong tower. Within this passage of scripture, we find these characteristics of God the Father. We think of the consistency of the Father as a refuge, a sustainer, and a creator. If you have your copy of God's Word, you read along with me. It will be on the screen, Psalm 46. I'm reading from the New King James Translation. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountain be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountain shake with its swelling. Verse 2 starts off with, therefore we will not fear. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. As we look here in Psalm 46, the first set of verses we're going to look at is verses 1 through 3. I've entitled this a permanent refuge. God the Father is a permanent refuge. The scripture says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. That means there's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of things going on. But listen, we've got to understand that God is a permanent refuge. When reading this passage of scripture, the Lord gives us some of the most recognizable symbols of power and immovability. You think about the earth and its permanence. He think, we think about the mountains and we think about the water. These things have been here since the creation of the earth. We think about these things. We think about their power. You know, the scripture tells us that, you know, the ocean could come only as far as the Lord desires it to come. He still has control over that. The mountains, though they quake and they tremble, God still has control over that. The earth, although it's broken, it's not going to go anywhere without the Lord's determinants. It's all upon God the Father. But He assures us of His power and immovability. He is our refuge. He's a place to run that is safe and secure. You and I, we have those places we run to. Hopefully, number one, in a spiritual sense, it is God. We run to God. We don't run to this person or that person first. We first run to God. He is our refuge. He is our strength. This is a position that gives comfort from a powerful enemy. We take nothing away from the power of Satan. He is a mighty foe. Only to be defeated by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. You and I can't defeat him apart from the power of Christ. So those people that say, I, oh, I'll step on Satan. I'll, I'll put my thumb on the nose of Satan. No, you won't. No, you won't either. God's the only one. Christ is the only one. The Holy Spirit is the only one who has the power to overcome Satan and his demons. You and I have none of that power apart from him. So don't th sit there and think more highly of yourself than you should. He is our strength. And he is a present help. In trouble. All of that you find in verse 1. Man, isn't it great that the, the psalmist is so descriptive of who our God is? He's a refuge. He is our strength. And he is a very present help in trouble. This is an applicable and actionable resource for life. This is who he is. A very present help in trouble. He's not an absent help. He's not just a spoken help. He's, he's a very present help. There's a lot of people you could call on the phone, but they might not be present with you. You've got to be talking back and forth. You know, I, I referenced this last week, talking about my dad and Julie's dad and how I'll call them from time to time and say, I need some help. I, my lawnmower's not cranking or something like that, you know. I'm in trouble. It's not like legit trouble, but I'm in a form of trouble, and I need a little help. So I'll call them up, and they can tell me everything. You know what I mean? Like both of them has fixed all kinds of stuff, planes, tanks, trains, automobiles, you name it. I'm just kidding. I know Daddy's fixed planes and, and, and tanks and, and cars. But, but uh, he and my father-in-law both have done all kind of repair work all through their lives. So, I mean, 
but they're not there. Now, nowadays, you got FaceTime, though. I can FaceTime and say, hey, look right here. What's, what's going on? You know, it's semi-present. But what this is saying is God is there by your side. He's a very present help in trouble. If he is your God, the scripture tells us he will never leave you nor forsake you. So no matter what the trouble is, you call upon him and he will be a present help in the midst of the trouble. Now what is the trouble that the scripture says that they're going through? And this, is very, this, this passage of scripture is, is very descriptive of what's going to happen in the judgment time. When things are coming apart, when the world is falling apart, what is what is going to be permanent? God is permanent. None of this affects God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So all these terrible things that are happening on the earth, although for us, we'd be like, oh my goodness, I'm so scared. You know, there's earthquakes and volcanoes and the waters are flooding and all this. Listen, my God is an ever-present help. He's my strength and he's my refuge and I can go to him. And I could trust him with my life. You know, we will not fear. Look at the first line of verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. And then for us, we look at all these next things and we're like, oh my goodness, this is such terrible stuff. The earth is going to be removed. Listen, we reside and live here. It's a big deal. The earth's a big deal, isn't it? Right? The culture today wants us to think that climate change is our greatest enemy to the brokenness of the earth. But it's not. The greatest enemy to the brokenness of this earth is sin. Sin is the earth's biggest enemy. Sin is what is causing the earth to be broken. Scripture tells us that the earth moans and groans for its redemption. Romans 8, 21 and 22 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The earth is, it wants to be whole and pure again. And we know that later on, and I'll quote this scripture in a little while, but we know in Revelation there'll be a new Jerusalem and a new earth. There's going to be a new earth and a new heaven and a new Jerusalem. It's coming. And this earth is just moaning and groaning from the brokenness of sin and its effect on it. But the earth, let me tell you this, the earth will be removed at God's timing in the way he has determined. So go outside, crank up your old diesel truck and let it run. I'm just kidding. We still need to be good stewards of the earth, okay? We still need to be good stewards of the earth. But we got to understand, it's God's timing when, that's, when this comes, okay? It's God's timing, okay? Uh, the earth will be removed, just like I said, at God's timing in the way he has determined. And in that knowledge, we are not to fear. Because even when the earth is removed, the Lord is not affected. The mountains, he says, the earth will be removed. And though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea... And in the latter part of verse 3, it also says, Though the mountains shake with its swelling. Listen, we see great mountain ranges of the United States, don't we? We've got those all over the place. We've got the Rocky Mountains. We've got the Appalachian Mountains. We've got mountains all over the United States. And they're beautiful. They're majestic. They're powerful. And the Jewish people, they knew of great mountains as well, such as Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai and other mountains. 
These were iconic natural places of power, beauty, and majesty. So this imagery is that of the mountains being picked up and settled into a new place with no problems. The audience to which the psalmist was writing was bringing to attention the weakness, uh, bringing to attention to weakness of comparing the mountains and their strength and majesty to the, to the strength and majesty of the Lord our God. There is, there's no comparison. A mountain can be picked up and placed into the sea. Nothing can pick up God. God only moves at God's will. Nothing moves God but God himself. Nothing about this creation is going to make God move. It's not going to affect him. But boy, it affects us, but it shouldn't affect us spiritually or emotionally because we know God's got control of it all. Look at the waters. He says, uh, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though its waters roar and be troubled. Warren Wearsby gives uh, the commentary that the waters may also symbolize the unrest of the nations. Mentioned there in verse 6. Circumstances may change, but God's covenant with his people will never change. He is our tower and our ref, uh, refuge in the certainties, in the uncertainties of life. That's who he is. So these had a present meaning in the original context, the earth, the mountains, the sea. They had their meaning in the original context, but they can hold a, a meaning in our context, and that being the earth is still wasting away. Whether it's in its physical, natural form, or it's in its cultural, societal framing. The mountains are still viewed and revered as majestic and symbolizing power, yet are still weak in comparison to the Lord. The waters are still troubled today as they were then. All these destructive events carry with them a judgment perspective. They all carry with them a judgment perspective. One day this world will be removed. One day this world will be cast aside. And one day this earth and the mountains and the seas are all in it will be put away. But the Lord and his kingdom and his people will remain. And we don't have to fear that day. I don't have to fear the day of the Lord. For many of you in your Sunday school classes, your adult Sunday school classes, if you got that packet and you put those posters up on your wall, one of them said the day of the Lord. There will be a day when God will return and this world will waste away. But yet God will bring in that new Jerusalem and that new heaven and new earth. Listen, it's going to be cast aside one day. And this is what the psalmist is writing about. God is giving this psalmist a prophetic view of, of what that looks like. Let's look there in verses 4 through 7. Not only is, he, um, is God the Father a permanent refuge, He's also a people sustainer. Look there in verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God will sustain his people when he is central to their culture. In this portion of our text, we find the river flowing gently and consistently through the city of God. One commentator wrote of verses 4 through 7 in this way. He said, this section turns to the hope of intimate accessibility to God's presence in the future. When the Messiah reigns from Jerusalem, the city of God, 
when he establishes his throne in Zion and ultimately remakes all creation in purity and at rest in him. And, and Wearsby wrote about this. You know, uh, Jerusalem was the only city. Most cities back in those ancient days were built on a river. Jerusalem was one of the very few that were not. Wearsby wrote this. He said, water was a precious commodity in Palestine, and especially in Jerusalem, one of the few ancient cities not built on a river. Wisely, Hezekiah had built an underground water system that connected the spring of Gihon with the pool of Siloam within the city. So water was available. But the psalmist knew that God was their river and provided them with the water of life. You see that there in verse 4. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God knows how to sustain his people, how to care for his people, how to meet the needs of his people. We are a people that need. You know, the scripture tells us we hunger and thirst for righteousness for his name's sake. We hunger and thirst for that righteousness. And God will supply that water. The city of God is representative of the people of God. The water is the supply or the sustaining power of Christ in the midst of adversity and calamity. Jehovah is definitely the most high God as is emphatically declared there in verse 4. God is central to the city of God. You see that. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacle of the whole of the most high god is in the midst of her she shall not be moved god shall help her just at the break of dawn god is central to the city of god god is central to our lives he needs to be flowing in our lives the context there is in the future but the context presently is god needs to be in our life he is the one who sustains us who gives us what we need in, in, in those times of help, in those times of hurt, in those times of calamity that was all around them, God was supplying for them. And thus it shall, uh, the city of God will not be moved because God is in the midst of her. And this affirms the immovability of God. The mountains, they may be moved. The earth may be removed. Not just moved, but removed. And the waters be troubled. But yet God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And nothing's going to change that. You know, God, it, He is not only is He the ever-present help from a description, but is noticeably in action within the city. He will help her in the darkest of moments, as mentioned in verse 5, the break of dawn. As soon as they wake up, he is still faithful. He is still flowing ever consistently down the center of the city of God. He's dependable. And he can sustain us. Sometimes we don't know where he's at because we've went so far from him. Not because he's gone far from us, but because we've went away from him. People say, I don't feel close to God. Well, that's because you've left him. God's not moved. He's immovable. You've got to come back to God. Come back to him. Make him central to your life. And he will meet your needs. He will not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Verse 6 says, The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. But yet he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. This is again talking about those final days. For verse 6, we must understand the power of the voice of God. Unlike our voices, that many a times are ignored or weak, God's voice is powerful. 
Many of you know that. You speak something to your son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter. Goes in one ear and out the other. I'm going to tell you something. When God speaks, it's not going to go in one ear and out the other. It's going to make a difference. And, in, and at this time in history, when this will take place, it's going to be a terrible thing for those who hear the voice of the Lord. It's going to be a terrible thing. Look at this. The nations raged, it says there in verse 6. The nations raged. God was like, no problem. No big deal. Rage on. I'll just speak. The kingdoms were moved. The earthly kingdoms, not his kingdom. Not his kingdom was moved. But the other kingdoms were moved. God said, go on. Move. But God says, let me tell you what I'm about to do. He's about to utter his voice. And one day when that time comes, when he utters his voice, the earth will melt. The earth will melt. It will, it will be done away with. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And for those of us who have called upon Christ as their Lord and Savior, we don't have to fear any of this. I don't have to worry about that. People are so worried about things. They're worried about this. They're worried about that. I'm not worried about it. I've told this illustration before. You know, if somebody were to invite me out to eat, okay, and I were to die in a car accident along the way, I win either way. I win either way. If I make it safely to the restaurant, wonderful. I get to eat out with you. Man, we're going to have a good meal. It's going to be good. If I die along the way, I'm going to be feasting in heaven with the Father and with the Son and with all the saints of old, that cloud of witnesses it's, that I'm surrounded by. Listen, I win either way. But if you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got something to fear. Because if you die on the way, you've missed out on a meal, and forever and eternity, you're separated from God. That's a problem. That's a problem. Today, you can get that righted in just, a, in just a little while. You'll be able to get that righted in your life. You can turn from your sinful ways. You can confess Christ as Lord. You can believe in your heart that God raised us up from the dead. And you can be saved. He is a salvation. He is a God of forgiveness. And He wants to extend that today to you. He doesn't want you to fear these things. That will come. He doesn't want you to fear these things. He wants you to know that they're coming. He wants you to be prepared that they are coming. But if you rest in Him, you don't have to fear that they're coming. You don't have to fear that they're coming. Listen, we can, we can look back at Genesis to see the amazing and awesome voice of God. In Genesis 1-3, with His voice, He created light. In Genesis 1-6, He created space and sky. In Genesis 1-9, He created dry land with His voice. With His voice, in Genesis 1-14, he created the stars, the sun, and the moon. In Genesis 1.20, he created fish and birds. And in Genesis 1.24, with the speaking, with the sound of his voice, he created all the land animals on the earth. That's just with his voice. With his voice, he created and breathed out the sun. We can't even get close to the sun. You can't look at the sun. You're not supposed to. Some people do it, but you're not supposed to, you know. This is the power of God. This is the voice of God. And from Genesis to Revelation, 
The voice of the Lord is mighty and powerful. When all these things pass away, God will bring about the new things. Revelation 21, 1-4. It is written, Now I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. God had spoken it had melted away. Also, there was no more sea. You hear that? The earth was removed. The mountains were cast into the sea. And, and the seas were tumultuous. But like here we see it. It's gone. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And doesn't this tie in nicely with what we've been teaching on the last few weeks? Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he dwells with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. One day these things are coming. But listen to the beauty of what's going to be new. And he will sustain his people. The earth will be removed. The mountains will be cast into the sea. The seas will be tumultuous and in troubled. They will be troubled. But yet God will get rid of all those things. Death, pain, sorrow, tears are gone. For the believer in Christ will live in the new heaven, in the new Jerusalem. In the new earth, we'll have those things. No more will sin corrupt the earth. No more will sin corrupt our minds or our hearts. We don't have to worry about that no more because God is a permanent refuge. He's not going to change, so I'll be in Him. He will sustain me as a river flowing through the midst of the city of God. He will sustain me. He will sustain you. And He is a peace creator. He is a peace creator. I've said this before. Uh, when, sometimes to have peace, you've got to have war. It's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate effect of sin upon this world. But to get peace, sometimes you have to have war. And God comes in, and I'm going to read to you here in verse 8. Y'all read along. Verse 8 of Psalm 46. Come behold the works of the Lord. Who has made desolations in the earth? He makes wars cease to end of the earth. Well, how does he do that? Did he do it through peace? He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Now, now understand, most, most scriptures break this apart. From understanding that, from understanding that he will supply for your need, he's a people sustainer, understanding he's a permanent refuge, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And when people recognize this, the scripture tells us at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because they've experienced and seen it, whether from a saved standpoint or a lost and going to hell for eternity standpoint. Everybody's seen what's happened to the earth. There will be no excuse. And so what will happen in the end? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But praise God, the Lord of hosts is with us. Those of us who have confessed him as Lord and believed upon his son, Jesus Christ. The God of Jacob. 
is our refuge. So verses 8 through 11, he is the peace creator. This is the pronouncement of his power and the proclamation of his power. The psalmist calls upon the people of God, then the city of God, to come and see the works of the Lord against his enemies. Look there in verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. I have kept you in the city of God. I've sustained you. Now I want you to see what I do to my enemies. This is what I do to my enemies. You want to, def you want to defy me? You want to think that you're a king on the throne? Look what happens to the kingdoms that come against God Almighty. They are no match for our God. No match whatsoever. When the Lord comes in all His glory, there will be no suffering servant. There will be only the conquering king. He will tell His people, observe the power and the majesty and the work of your refuge and strength. That's what He's going to say. Observe it. Come and see where all those that thought they held ground against the King of kings and Lord of lords once stood. And when the Lord comes and He makes war, not the people of the earth, it is His victory. It is His ability on showcase. He will come as a warrior, Exodus 15.3 says. Exodus 15.3 says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. One of my favorite songs that, we, that, uh, that we've sung in the past as a student ministry is called The Lord is a Warrior. And uh, there's a portion in there, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'll do it justice. It's, it's, a, it's a rap portion of a song, okay? Now, I'm not going to try to rap it per se, but I'm going to rhythmically say it, okay? Because I can't do it justice like a rapper. God didn't give me that ability, okay? But a guy named Shylin, if you never heard of him, you need to go listen to him, theologically sound every song. He ain't playing around. He's not like some folks. You may listen to him, but this guy right here is solid. You can go listen to him and download his music off Spotify and, and iTunes, all that good stuff, okay? All right, the name of the song is The Lord is a Warrior. And uh, Shylin says, says, Revelation 19. Yeah, heavens open, behold a white horse, amazing to view. The one sitting on the horse called Faithful and True. He judges and makes war. The reign of Messiah, his eyes flames of fire. Strange his attire, his robe dipped in blood, but his name is not Joseph. His aim is explosive. God's fame is the motive. Flashback. Long before this moment we're in, he loved his opponents when he made atonement for sin, resurrected. At the Father's right hand, he sat down. Well, he's back now and found on his head a mad crown, smack down. The sights and sounds are amazing. A sharp sword in his mouth to strike down the nations. Today is the day that he's welcoming the foreigners. Repent and believe that he hung upon a cross for you. Otherwise, you'll meet him as a holy, righteous slaughterer. Somebody call the coroner. The Lord is a warrior. And the Lord is a warrior. And he will come in that way. And for those that don't know him as Lord and Savior, it will be a fearful time. This is absolutely how it's going to play out. The scripture says the Lord will break the bows of his enemies. He will cut their spears in two. He will burn their chariots in fire. God will have no mercy. He will have no mercy on those at this time. His mercy is extended today. And while it is today, turn away from sin. Repent and turn to Christ. Don't put it off. Scripture tells us in 2 Peter 
3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if you go back to chat, this chapter in 2 Peter, it's speaking to the coming judgment of the Lord on this world, just as this text today we're speaking. That's what it's talking about. Yet for verse 9, the prince of peace, from verse 9 on, the prince of peace is enthroned. Wars have ceased throughout the world. What councils and leagues and summits have been helpless to achieve? The Lord Jesus brings by his iron rod. Disarmament has passed from discussion to actuality. Weaponry is scrapped and funds formerly spent on munitions are now diverted into agriculture and other productive channels. Listen, when God comes, there's not going to be a need for anymore. No weapon formed against him shall prosper. It doesn't matter what the enemy brings. It's not going to do any good. Because when God comes, because the Lord is a warrior, he, when he comes, nothing's going to stop. If you were in Sunday school this morning, he said, I will not relent. I will not relent upon my judgment against Judah and Israel. And listen, there were times in the Old Testament he did show grace. But at this time, when all of time comes to an end for mankind that are lost apart from him, that they spend an eternity in hell separated from him, he will be king of kings and lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's coming a day. It's coming a day. So from this point forward, the Lord tells his people one unavoidable action and one undeniable truth. One unavoidable action and one undeniable truth. What is that, what is that unavoidable action? It's to be still. We can't, we can't avoid this. We've got to be still. We're busy about everything. We're worried about everything. We're anxious about everything. Be still. Stop talking. Turn off your phone. Stop commenting. Stop arguing. Stop questioning. Stop moaning. And be still. Observe the glory and the majesty and the power of God. That's the unavoidable action that we have to take. We, we have to take that action of being still. And then the one undeniable truth is to know that he is God. That he is God. To know that he is God is to stop doubting. To know that he is God is to be sure. To know that he is God is to have faith. And to know that he is God is to not try to find some other option. Know that he is God. Know that he is, God. he is God Almighty. He is God our King. He's God our Rock. He's God our Hope. He's God our Refuge. God our Strength. God our Father. God our Shepherd. God the Way, the Truth, and the Life. He's God our Provider and God our Protector. That's who He is. And when we know who He is, the inevitable outcome will be His exaltation. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It will be undeniable. There's no way that if you recognize who God is through this passage of Scripture, there's no way there's anything else you can do but exalt 
glorify, praise, and honor his name for all of eternity. If you're not doing that, I, I dare to say you've not been saved. You've not been saved if you don't recognize who he is and what he's done. I mean, he gave his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe upon him shall be saved. He's done all that he needs to do so that you may be with him through all the, the removing of the earth, the, the moving of the mountains, and the casting out of the sea. He's done all he needs to do. Now, what are you going to do in response to that? What are you going to do in response? Now that you know who God is. Now that you know who God is. 